You're listening to episode 113 of 88 Cups of Tea with Yin Chang. Am I doing this right? <laughs> Hi, I'm your host, Yin Chang, and thanks for joining me on 88 Cups of Tea. This podcast is created to leave you feeling motivated from interviews with storytellers, where we learn how they create opportunities for a successful career without losing sight of the values that make us human. Woo, that was a really long run on sentence. Hey, what's up, storytellers? I would love to kick off today's episode by thanking our listeners for taking the time to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and for also leaving a rating and a review. Tosh913 recently rated our show five stars and left a very awesome review, titling it Great Interviews, Wonderful Host, and Great Guests. Tosh913 continued to write, Wow, that RJ Palacio interview was a winner. Thanks for asking brilliant questions and having some great insight. Really enjoyed the Dan Santac questions as well. Don't get me going on the Susan Dennard episode I recently listened to. Absolutely fabulous. Keep up the great work. Inspiring stories that help me survive the LA traffic and help my journey to become a better writer. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to leave your wonderful review. It was so fun to hear which episodes are your favorite. Before we introduce today's guest, come join us over at facebook.com slash groups slash 88 cups of tea. Our private Facebook community is incredible. I mean, really incredible. The storytellers in our group are so loving and supportive of each other, and we'd love to welcome you into our conversations that happen on the daily. Can't wait to meet you over at facebook.com slash groups slash 88 cups of tea. Now on to today's guest, we have Ryan T. Higgins, author and illustrator of the best-selling Mother Bruce picture book, which received the E. B. White Read Aloud Award and the Ezra Jack Keats New Illustrator Honor. In this episode, Ryan walks us through the storyboarding and editing process of illustrating his children's books, and he delves into the importance of looking at your story in small chunks to avoid overthinking about your book as a whole. Ryan shares tips on breaking into the publishing world and landing representation, and how to begin self-publishing and promoting your work. We also discuss ways to prevent writer's block and why it's so important to have a critique partner to help grow story ideas. Now let's jump right in. Hey everyone, we have Ryan T. Higgins with us today. I am so excited to have him on. He is such an awesome person. You can hear just from his personality. Ryan, hey, what's up? I'm so happy to have you on. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Before we jump into all the details and the nitty gritty and the little nooks and crannies, I would love for all of us to learn how you first fell in love with writing and illustrating. Ever since I was about maybe five or six years old, I wanted to be a comic strip cartoonist. That was my plan from when I was six until I was in college. I wanted to make comic strips for newspapers. I think that the kids book thing that I'm in now, it's as close as I could possibly get this day and age. When I was a kid, I was really big into Calvin and Hobbes. I'd race downstairs every morning and run out to the mailbox and grab the newspaper and then bring it in and I'd read it over my breakfast. I've always wanted to do that. And I really didn't get into the idea of making kids books until I think maybe my senior year of college. Yeah. I just sort of realized there's a lot of similarities between the two things. And also with kids books, you don't have to come up with a new funny joke every single day. You, you know, you come (laughs) up with just a couple jokes a year. And then that's enough to fill your time with kids' books. Also less pressure. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It was during my senior year, I actually stumbled across Mo Willems' Don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus. Oh, yes. It's basically a comic, but made into a book, and it's for kids. 
And that just some lights went off during that time. I was reading up on your bio and you went to college to be an ecologist. Yes, that's right. Yes. So the thing about comic strips was I realized that it wasn't really a likely career path. So I needed a backup plan. I went to college and I studied wildlife ecology. And the idea was that if cartooning didn't work out, I'd go and live in the woods and study bears or coyotes or, you know, something exciting. (laughs) And then I'd write about it. It was around the time where I started shifting my interest towards kids' books, where one of my professors, my advisor, pulled me aside and told me that he loved reading my research papers, but that they weren't supposed to be funny. Uh, He said that they're a great read. And he knew that I had this other passion in cartooning. And it was actually my biology professor that nudged me towards cartoons and stuff. So I, I had this decision to make. I had to do an internship in order to, uh, to graduate. I had this internship all lined up where I was going to go take part in a grizzly bear research program. But there was also this other in this connection I had in my hometown. My mom is a middle school teacher. One of her students was the daughter of one of the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics. <gasps> what? So there were two guys that created the Ninja Turtles. There was Pete Liard and Kevin Eastman. Yeah, that's their names. And they had these two friends that actually helped them with the drawings and with the inking and lettering and making the covers and stuff. And one of them was named Steve. And Steve's daughter was in my mom's eighth grade science class. And so we made this connection. And just before I signed off on doing that grizzly bear internship, I uh, talked to Steve and we came up with a completely made up internship slash apprenticeship where I would draw cartoons and hang out with him and I'd have a comic strip in the local newspaper. What? So yeah, like this very last minute thing, I changed gears my senior year and threw myself into comics and cartoons and that kind of in a roundabout way led to the kids book stuff. Okay. So I'm so curious because it sounds like you already had a confidence or control with your illustrations to be able to just jump in. Were you illustrating? I mean, were you sketching a lot as a kid growing up? Oh, yeah. Is that something that you feel like is innate and you feel like your parents maybe have an artistic background and you kind of picked up on it? Yeah, I don't know where it came from. Both my parents are okay artists. That sounds kind of mean <laughs> to say. I mean, my mom's a good doodler. When I was a kid, whenever she was on the phone, she'd be doodling. So she was one of those people that would have this intricate drawing of nothing um, on a piece of paper by the time she was done with a phone call. My dad is really good at making things. Neither of them are super art. My dad, he was a sheet metal mechanic on a shipyard for 37 years. So he can make things out of metal, but he doesn't draw. I think I think a lot of it actually just came from my intense love of comics when I was a kid. So at least the drawing aspect of it, I think, came more from Calvin and Hobbes and other cartoons in the newspaper. I know the storytelling aspect, that comes from my dad. He's a really great storyteller. When I was a kid... I didn't know this at the time. My dad would tell me a story every night before I went to bed. We always asked for books for our parents to read. And whenever it was my dad's turn, he would show us books and then make up a story to go with it. And I thought that was the coolest thing. And I didn't know it at the time, but it was because my dad has a really hard time reading. He has not dyslexia. Sometimes he gets words jumbled up when he looks at them. He reads very, very slowly. And my brother and I have that too, but my dad has it to a worse extent. And so as a kid, my dad wouldn't read. He would make up these stories, and they were better than the books that he was reading them from. I thought that was super cool that he would make up a new story every night, and it was just sort of to mask the fact that he wasn't able to read those the bedtime books tonight. 
I think that was a big catalyst in growing me as a storyteller. For sure. I could see that. And I'm just like thinking, damn, your dad is so awesome. He just takes it and runs with it. I remember my favorite one he ever told. We had a lot of Berenstein Bear books growing up. Oh, yes. <laughs> and my favorite one was he made up the story called Papa Bear and the Great Bean Race. And it was about, I think there is one where the Berenstein Bears do a marathon or a 5K. I think they do a 5K. But either way, in my dad's version, Papa Bear ate a bunch of beans and it gave him extra energy. And really pushed him forward. That's yeah, awesome. Like pocket propelled. Your dad is so adorable. Thank you for sharing that. That's a really cool memory. And now just circling back to your illustrations again, was there one drawing that you remember that really stood out to you and you're like, wow, this is the most proud I've ever been? I actually can recall there was this one drawing I made and I was super excited about it. I made my own Calvin and Hobbes comic. It was an original story by me. And I was really proud of it. And then I thought it would be cool to send to Bill Watterson. So I did. Now I regret that because I don't really remember what it was about. But I remember really liking it. That also says a lot about you. I feel like a lot of people, even if they feel proud about it, they don't go that extra step of sending it out or putting it out in the world. And I think that says a lot about you as a person. Yeah, I've always loved sharing my stories and my comics. I used to make books when I was a kid. I would make, well, they'd be comics. But I'd bring them into school and I'd share them with the class. And sometimes I'd make photocopies and pass them out to people. Dude, that's so awesome. That's so sweet. I've never really been shy about showing my artwork. I'm shy about lots of other stuff. I refuse to dance in front of people. But you'll wiggle your drawings around. Oh, yeah. This is like so out of the blue, but it just triggered a question for me. You know how there's a lot of authors, either they don't really talk about their stuff and they're not really into social media, or they are really good about being consistent with showing their work or their work in progress. I know some illustrators who love sharing their latest works on Facebook with their Facebook friends and even on Twitter at times. How are you feeling about that? I was told after I got my book contracts with Disney Hyperion that it would be good for me to be on social media. So it's not like a natural inclination of mine to get on there very often. I try. I get really easily distracted. And whenever I go on there to post something, I wind up looking at other people's stuff for like 45 minutes or an hour. (laughs) And I've lost an hour of my workday. I also never know what I'm allowed to post. Sometimes I'll send an email or a note to my editor being like, hey, can I post a little piece of this picture? I know some of my friends, they don't really ask. They just post all kinds of stuff. And I guess it's fine. I probably should just post stuff and then assume it's fine unless somebody says otherwise. I was worried that I'm giving away too much. Mm -hmm. Uh, So sometimes I'll post some pencil illustrations or just like a sketch that I'm working on. But I I always get nervous about posting too much and then rubbing the feathers the wrong way or something. Oh, yeah. What's the phrase? Rub feathers. (laughs) Do you? No, you ruffle feathers. Ruffle. (laughs) Yeah. You can rub feathers. You can rub feathers. Listen, you can pet them. You can rub them. Whatever you want. You can pluck them. Okay? So, yeah. You don't want to pluck anybody's feathers. I don't want to pluck anybody's feathers. (laughs) I feel like that's some authors, too, on the show who are a little nervous about sharing too much about, let's say, a book that's coming out. I totally understand that. I'm that person who's very much, all right, I'd rather ask for forgiveness than permission. So I'll just post what I want. But I get it too, (laughs) because it's like, you just never know. That is a tricky balance. I do wonder if you ever feel comfortable, even if it has nothing to do with a book coming up, like a Mm -hmm. completely random different sketch that you just sketched, just to show your interests and hobbies. I would love to do that. But no time. I am really fortunate in that I have so many deadlines and stuff. I have no time to draw for fun. That's awesome. I mean, what? It is awesome. It's an interesting dynamic, you know, coming from as a kid, always, always drawing. I was always drawing and it was just what I like to do for fun. I'd get home from school and the first thing I would do is I'd just sit down and start drawing. 
to go from being so into drawing for fun to now it's my job and I love my job. It doesn't seem like work, but at the end of the day, when I go in, you know, when five o'clock rolls around and my son and daughter come out and get me from the studio and bring me inside, I don't feel like sitting down and drawing. Sometimes we'll sit down as a group and draw. My son and daughter and I will draw something together. Maybe I should start posting those. You should. See, those are awesome. We get to see a glimpse of you as a family person and also like what you guys do for fun on the side. I'm glad we're doing this interview. You're giving me great ideas. (laughs) (laughs) It's a brainstorming session, you know, about life overall (laughs) and me bossing you around telling you what to post. I'm always the type of person, especially on the consumer side. I'm always in awe of illustrators because I wish I could draw like you. So anytime I get a glimpse of sketches that are not perfect yet, that are not published, I love that. Even if it's like a quick doodle, even if you're on the phone or on this interview doodling at the same time as we're chatting, I would love to see something like that. Funny you mentioned that. I am actually drawing. I know. I was like, you probably got it from your mom because you said your mom does that. So I'm like, you're probably doing it right now, but being really polite about it. I'm doing it for work. (laughs) (laughs) okay there we go i'm drawing bruce right now actually and that's just because i tend to pace i'm not a great phone person i know we're we're on skype which isn't the phone but it's basically like a phone interview yeah i tend to pace around and so i I give myself something to do this drawing might be terrible and it won't wind up in a book but it might (laughs) can you please post it on twitter and be like this is what i was sketching as i was talking to yin sure i'll tag you on it i'll be like yes i feel so honored when you were saying that you have so many deadlines, I think just because my grandpa's an artist and so he, he makes a living painting and he's a professor at universities before he retired. And so for me, it's like, I know that there are times when school, when he's teaching at universities, he makes sure to still keep up with his paintings on the side just to fulfill his artistic side rather than just sure. educational and making sure that he has money coming in to support the family. Also, he and I talk a lot about his art and just overall being artists. I do feel also wrapping that up with talking to some authors who write all the time and their dream was to write as a full-time job. Then once some of them do get to that point, they're like, oh my gosh, sometimes I miss those days where I had a job and then came home because it felt like a temptation that you're waiting for at the end of the day that right. we would look forward to. Like your reward for putting in a hard day's work. Yeah. Which is a blessing. It's absolutely a blessing. But at the oh, same yeah. time, it's, ooh, now that it, this is my full-time job, you feel that entire stress on your back and so much more on your plate. It's almost like it's some of the fun is out the window. So for you, obviously, it all started out of love. And it's like very natural. I mean, you started loving Calvin and Hobbes. And then your marine biology teacher was telling you to just go into this because you just have like a flair with comedy in your writing right now, which by the way, I have to say super quick, I got the copy of Bruce's Big Move. And I loved it. It was so cute. I laughed out loud. It was the cutest. But yeah, so going back, I just wonder now, it sounds like you do this full time. And that Mm -hmm. you have so many deadlines. Do you still feel that artistic satisfaction? I still have that artistic satisfaction. It doesn't feel like work. It's very strange. That's awesome. My job before this, through through high school and college, and then Mm -hmm. for a few years after college, while I was trying to break into the business, I did landscaping. And that's Mm. hard work. You know, I would carry heavy rocks around and dig ditches for people. Those evenings is when I would do drawings. That felt like work. And this doesn't really feel like, feels like I'm already retired. That makes sense. Nice. I like that. Yeah, yeah. But I'm busy in my retirement. I work eight hours a day. You're enjoying life, but keeping busy at the same time. 
Yeah, and I think the biggest thing for, for me is that it's not monotonous. It's a lot of it's problem solving. I think that's why part of the reason I love drawing so much is I'm trying to figure out how to draw Bruce's hand facing a certain way or what kind of expression he's going to have on his face in a particular drawing. And those moments, and there's a lot of those moments, I feel that fulfills my need nice. for creativity. It, it is busy and I do work a lot. And there are some days when 3.30 comes around and I can't stand sitting at my desk anymore. When those days come, I just think about when I used to work 10 hours a day carrying rocks around and then I get right back to work. It's not that <laughs> difficult. It's difficult in a different way. Yes. I'm not physically strained by the end of the day. I'm not going to get a hernia from drawing pictures. <laughs> Unless you think too hard. That's true. Sometimes I draw really hard. I know everybody's journey is totally different, right? Everybody has a different path, a different way they go about you as a picture book author and illustrator. How much creative control do you have? It varies from author to author and from publisher to publisher. I have a lot of creative control. And ultimately, I am not the final person to decide if something gets published. That's my publisher, my editor mm -hmm. and publisher over that. I have quite a bit of control. Usually what happens is I'll come up with a story idea. I'll pitch it to my editor through my agent. And then if she likes it, my editor, then we go from there. Usually an idea is just a couple sentences. For Bruce's big move, it was, I think I just drew a picture of Bruce on a motorbike. And I was like, I want to make a story where Bruce is on a motorbike and maybe he's getting a new house. And then that got a contract. Wow, there, that's I, awesome. I think everyone at Disney Hyperion knew that I was really into my little antique motorbike and that I was going to put Bruce <laughs> on it eventually. With that, it was mostly up to me of what happened in the book. I'd send it to my editor and usually she'll give great suggestions, but she'll never tell me to change something. She'll be like, I really like this drawing here. I'd like this part of the story here. I'm not quite sure what you're trying to get across on this point. I wonder if you might be able to revisit it. And sometimes she'll give me suggestions, but I can't think of a single time when anybody over there said, you need to change the story so it does X, Y, Z. Cassie mentioned that you are actually friends with Greg Pizzoli because you guys are yeah. in yeah. under the same umbrella. Yeah, we have the same editor too. Which is awesome. I chatted with Greg last week and he mentioned about storyboarding because I do wonder, for example, switching it to fiction authors where sometimes they'll have to slash half of their words and delete it. And I'm like, oh my God, I feel so sad for them. I was wondering about illustrators too. Is that something where it gets slashed? But you mentioned it's not too much of a change. When you pitch them in the idea, I know you're like, hey, I want to do something with Bruce on his <laughs> antique. Going further into that for your team to have a more detailed overview of beginning, middle, and end. Do you storyboard as well? I do. So a lot of illustrators, I think Greg does this. I'm sure he also works from the script too. He does thumbnails, which are really cool, where like little stamp size. Yeah, sorry. So he was saying thumbnails, and I was comparing from the actor's point of view. I was like, okay, that's like storyboarding, because that's the only like thing I'm familiar with. Yeah. Sorry, it was thumbnailing. You're right. Thank you for the correction. Oh, no, no. I was just saying like he does it a little differently than I do, because he does a, a whole additional step where he does thumbnails, and then he does, then he'll do a book dummy. That's basically a yeah. story. I jump right into the book dummy. I work digitally, so... My book dummy, I just take thumbnails and then just blow them up and then make that into my dummy. The first step I do is I write a script. So I go about it almost like it's a play. I think visually, but I have to write down my thoughts visually. Usually when I'm thinking of a story, I almost think of it as like a Saturday morning cartoon show. Ah, It's my job to write down as frantically as I can everything that's happening. I know with scripts, you know, there's the yep. words, the dialogue, and there's a lot of yep. descriptions on describing yeah, what's happening too. around. Okay, so you yep. have 
I'm guessing in parentheses, I very much like to unpack visually. And also our community, FYI, loves these kind of details. So I'm just imagining Bruce's big move, which is part of the Mother Bruce series. First starts off with Bruce here, and then you put in parentheses and then insert image or illustration of Bruce yes. on his bike. Exactly. Oh. That. Except usually instead of insert, I just I have it color coded. What do you mean by that? In my script, every description of a drawing is in green or blue or I don't know. Oh, I oh okay. Color. I get it. So I it's get just, it. Then I can be lazy and not have to do parentheses. I totally misunderstood and thought something else. No, I was making it sound like I'm a lot more intelligent than I am. <laughs> I color code the thing. You are very intelligent. <laughs> I think if you looked at the text for a story, I think it would be just very similar to a script for a, a play. It's very much like that. I'll say, you know, Bruce walks in, he, he's got a frown on his face. And he's looking at the mice there in his bathtub or something like that. Then I'll write a little word balloon. I'll say, you know, in quotations, I'll say what, what Bruce is saying, what the mice are saying. And then I'll add the narration either below or above that. I guess it's kind of like a play, except that I also have a narrator. So I have to throw in my narrator's voice too. I haven't had as many illustrators on the show. So do you have anyone to run this over with, the critique partner? Yeah, I do. My wife. Joanna. Yeah, Joanna. She's my first editor. She has a degree in English, and then she has a master's in education. She's an elementary school teacher. She has a pretty good idea of what I'm trying to say. How lucky are you? Really lucky. Works really well. We actually have a process for every book that we do where I <gasps> will write my play script, and then I hand it over to her, and then she reads it, and then... She writes her own version of it, and then she gives it back to me, and then we get into a huge argument. Every time we get into a big <laughs> argument about why she's right and why I'm right, how I don't, you know, how this Oh, my is. dear. I hope you learned by now your wife is always right. Oh, she is. Usually she has suggestions that make the story flow better, but sometimes it ruins one of my jokes. <laughs> oh, no. So how do you find the compromise? Well, it always winds up being a compromise. All my best stories are compromises between those things. And usually if I have a joke in there just because it's funny, it shouldn't be in there. It needs to be part of the story. So we usually find a way to make it part of the story. And I would say after a week of going back and forth, being really happy with each other for complimenting (laughs) our work and stuff, and then at other times being really grumpy and not talking to each other. I think that's about how every book has gone. You guys are so adorable. Why have you not actually co-authored anything? She asks me that quite a lot. Yeah, Ryan, what the heck? (laughs) I think we might do that. Yeah. I'm telling you, because Joanna is such a huge part of this process. Imagine if you allow her to unleash even more the brilliance (laughs) that you two have already. Just imagine that tenfold if you guys end up really co-authoring something. We've talked about it quite a bit. (laughs) You're like, step off of my relationship. Don't tell me what to do. No, no, not at all. No, I mean, we literally have this conversation when I'm wrapping up every single book. I don't mean to pry and I don't mean to be that nosy neighbor. I think it would be awesome if you guys co-author it. What I ultimately would like to do with her would be her to come up with a story and have it be her story. And then, you know, we work on it together, but it'd be completely hers. And then I would illustrate it for her. Cute. I don't know as far as how that works with agents and stuff. I'm still pretty new to this game, you know, only a couple of years. Dang. Yeah, still so much success, which is awesome. It would be pretty cool to have her be the author and then I illustrate it. And then... We both get to be sent on book tours. We have a great vacation for you both. And your friends and family have no choice but to babysit your kids. There we go. We have 
go to San Francisco. It's just, I know. We have, to. We have to go to England for this right. book tour. Then the whole vacation would be a business expense. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's like, honey, do you want to go and grab a drink tonight? We must discuss the next project. Okay, write it off. I'm excited. I'm already lining up and I'm waiting for this moment to happen. You're going to have to update me. <laughs> She'll be really happy to hear that. She's going to have to listen to this episode because she's like, yeah, Ryan, see, I told you. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. I always love talking about relationships and also home and family dynamic. I want to add one more thing. I was her boss when I did landscaping. No way. Are you serious? Yeah, but it wasn't like I hired her and then we got together. She was my girlfriend at the time and I had this landscaping company. I needed to hire somebody, so she worked for me. Oh my God. Did you get into arguments? Uh, No, but she did pass out one time while while we were working. You're lucky she said yes to be your wife, FYI. Well, turns out she wasn't feeling well and it was 95 degrees out and she didn't tell me she wasn't feeling well and she passed out while she was mowing the lawn. I felt terrible. Is she okay after that? Yeah, she was, she had like a flu or something. You know, she just hadn't eaten very much and she didn't feel very well. You guys sound like you work great together other than poor Joanna passing out and not having enough food. My girlfriend right now, she's in the food industry. She's helping out with this pop-up event in LA. I was like, okay, I don't mind. I'm down to help volunteer and help out with whatever you need help with. Uh, Just get things done. And she made a joke. She goes, yeah, I'm your boss. And oh, I got so (laughs) livid. The word, I don't know if it's my ego, but I gave her the biggest death stare ever. I was like, girl, do not even use that word near me. You are not my boss. I never called myself her boss while we were working. That's why I love hearing when there are relationships like you and Joanna that work out so well and you guys have a great collaboration. It's inspiring. I work well with my girlfriend, Moonlin. By the way, she's also a co-producer, so giving her credit, and she's going to be editing this episode. Love you, oh, babe, oh, as you're listening. Yeah. Hey there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, love you. Me, <laughs> don't let me sleep on the couch tonight. But, <laughs> but we work really well together. But I think for me, in a relationship, I need to know that it's like an equals kind of thing and not, even if it's a joke as a boss, I'm like, oh, hell to the no. Uh-uh. But if it's like equals, then I'm really good at collaborating. Yeah, for us, when she is reading through a story and then offering feedback and writing her own version, we forget about who's in charge of what. And it's just at the <laughs> end of the day, what makes the story better? Yeah. And she and I just have slightly different ideas sometimes about what makes the third story better, yeah. which is where we run into those arguments. Yes. And then <laughs> those compromises. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Even though I do work nine to five-ish, I am not the sort of person who can leave my work in the studio. I go home. It's always in the back of my mind. We could be talking about some completely other topic that's very serious. And then I'll just change gears. Like, what do you think about if Bruce did this? She'd be like, I don't want to talk about that right now. So that happens a lot. I just basically say whatever's in my head. I am always thinking about it. Joe is able to think about other stuff. I read that you were in your bio. You work an extension of your home, your office. But it's like a cabin in the woods. It depends on what bio you read. One of my It was bios, on your I, website. I think that one is a little more up to date. I built a little cabin in the, it's, it's kind of in the woods behind my house. Our house is right next to some woods. And I built a cabin just at the edge of my property. You right. built a cabin with your own hands? Yes. I have always wanted to build my own house. And because of zoning ordinances and the fact that I'm not a licensed contractor or carpenter, I'm not allowed to build a house. But I could build a a small outbuilding, as long as it was less than 124 square feet. I built my own studio. It kind of looks like a tiny version of my house. Where are you located? You don't have to tell us a town if you want safety reasons, no worries, but what state? I live in the southernmost town in the state of Maine. You get access to the best lobsters. You live right on the ocean too. Not my house, but the town is on the ocean. So I can walk to the ocean from my house. It takes a while. 
when I was in New York and my family's still there, we would always take road trips up to Maine. We travel for food. We love food. Our yep. stomach guides us. If you drove to Maine, you drove right through my town. It's called Kittery. That's the town I live in. It's the Miami of Maine, if you will. No wonder you have all these stories and books churning out endlessly and all these deadlines because you have the best inspiration around you. The view out of the window of my studio is a little meadow that there are deer in sometimes or sometimes turkey. There's nothing. Nobody's in there right now. But yeah, it's pretty great. It isn't. Yes. Yeah. It can be cold in the winter, although lately not so bad. Global warming and all that stuff. I know. I know. It's so sad. I would love for us to get into your Mother Bruce series a little bit more. So Mother Bruce, where did that come from? I know that you love grizzly bears. I know that's like a love of yours before you even hopped into illustrations and the picture book world. But your first book was Bottleton's Cheese, right? In 2008? Before I got into the traditional publishing, regular publishers and stuff, I self-published books for a few years while I did my landscaping thing. I had no idea how to go about it, how to get into traditional publishing. And I just wanted to get some books out. And my friend Steve, who I did that internship with, Mm -hmm. was self-publishing some picture books. So the Ninja Turtles, it was just four guys that worked together and they did everything. They were their own publishers and they created a publishing studio for their comics. And so Steve approached picture books doing the same thing. And so I thought that was super cool. So I actually self-published, I think, three, three picture books or so before I actually got into traditional publishing. I never even sent any of those to publishers. I just thought it would be kind of cool to do them on my own. So I just did a bunch of research. I hired a printing facility, which it turns out is the printing facility that prints my Bruce books through. What? Disney. What I a the same coincidence. Over there too. But anyway, so that's where that Twaddleton's Cheese book is from. It is very hard to find because I erased its history as best I could from oh, the internet. Oh, no! How were you getting the word out? Because self-publishing is a lot on your own shoulders. I found pretty early on, you know, there's a stigma about self-publishing and it's not really the best business choice for bookstores to carry a lot of self-published books. So after doing a ton of work and driving all around New England, I maybe got, I don't know, a dozen or so bookstores to carry one or two copies, which wasn't really enough to earn back the cost of printing. I decided to do school visits. I had this whole thing where I would do free school visits all around the country if I could send an order form home two weeks before I got there. That actually worked out pretty well. It slowly became my full-time job. I wound up being too busy for landscaping. So it worked out pretty well because a lot of kids parents will buy them a book if the author comes to the school. I guess they don't want their kids to feel left out and they want them to really understand the book and actually understand the conversation fully if the author comes in. I also got really good at talking kids into buying books or talking (laughs) kids into going home and telling their parents why they need to get a book. I'm so curious. What were you saying to them? I'd say stuff like, a lot of your friends got books. Maybe you want to get a book, but you forgot to bring your order form back in. But you know what? I'm going to give you a second chance. This is one time. I'll give you an extra week. And if you get a book, I'll write your name in there. I'll draw a picture oh, for you. Oh, that's so cute. Do all kinds of fun stuff. And the kids would get so excited. This is really genius, actually. I've never heard of this. Did somebody give you a hint to be like, hey, just hit up schools? Or was this you coming up on your own? I wasn't smart enough to formulate this idea on my own. It was just my local school that I went to as a kid. The principal was the same principal that I had when I was a kid. And he actually invited me in. And then when I came in, the kids were asking me how they could get books. And so I made up a little order form and I sold a ton of books and then, oh, maybe I should try this 
some other schools and it worked out to seem like a really great plan, but it wasn't a plan. It just fell into place. It just worked. It was good. I spent a lot more time selling books and making books. Gotcha. And after a few years, I decided to try break into traditional publishing. I think the self-publishing yep. world is so fascinating because I know Utopolitan's Cheese came out 2008. Yep. So now it's yep. 2017. And I see a lot of businesses that are linking up with Amazon. Obviously, there's a lot of improvements that are made and it's a lot more convenient mm-hmm. for self-publishing authors. Do you think, let's say if you started that and you wrote Twilatine's Cheese now in 2017, would it have been different for you? Yeah, it cuts upfront costs. I think I had to print 2,500 copies, which sounds like a lot. And it is. It takes up a lot of space in a house. Quarter of a garage. Jeez. <laughs> okay, yeah. When you do that, it costs a dollar and fifty cents per book to print. Right, them. right. And then you, know, you, you turn around, you sell them for like over $13 True. and you get a, a big profit margin. Whereas when you do print on demand, eight bucks for each printing, I'm assuming. Yeah, less of a markup. So the profit margin is smaller. And so I just decided that I would not be able to make it a full-time job if I were self-publishing and went through a service where they printed on demand, um, just because you'd have to sell way more books that way. And I I also didn't do a ton of research on the print on demand thing. It started to become popular, I think, a couple years into the self-publishing thing. Mm -hmm. And I had a pretty good gig going with the school visits. That makes sense because you actually had a way to make that money back. It was really exciting. I mean, after I stumbled onto it, I made back the money I spent on it in a month and a half. Applauses for you for that entrepreneurial spirit. There's a lot of authors who find it easier to deal with the artistic side of creating the story and having that published. But then when it comes to actually pushing it out, there's a lot of struggle there for a lot of authors, but they're yeah. not having ideas of how to get it out there. For example, going to school visits, like maybe they never thought of that or some are just so shy and normally not comfortable sure. going out of their normal day to day. That's kind of me, but it was just out of necessity. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for I, sure. I really wanted to make it work. I don't know why I didn't really think about publishing traditionally as an option at the time. Well, it made sense because you were working with Steve in that world. So it totally makes sense that you went into self-publishing. Now, jumping into you breaking into the traditional publishing mm-hmm. world, how was that? Whenever anybody asks me how to break into publishing, I say, oh, join your local chapter of SCBWI. And then they say, are you a member? And then I say, oh, well, I keep meaning to sign up. <laughs> if you're smart, that's a great place to make connections with other author illustrators and editors and publishers and agents. And it's really a great place to start. I am not a member. I didn't know how to go about it. When I decided I was spending too much time on the road selling books out of my car, I sent out some manuscripts to agents. I just went from there. I think at the time, actually, what I did is I sent out some of my self-published books and said, this is what I'm making. Here's an idea for another story. So when you said the idea, that would be the manuscript for the idea. I think that's what I did. It's been a few years. So you just like basically cold pitched yourself. Yeah, I was in the flesh pile. That's awesome. Are there any tips that you would share right now with our listeners who are working on picture books and would really love to land representation or get into traditional publishing? I feel like the way I went about stuff is not a good way to tell people how to go about it. A lot of it was just luck. Mm. My agent wasn't even the one that saw my stuff originally. It was his co-agent saw it on the flesh pile. She was in a good mood and she decided to show it to Paul. He's my agent, Paul. (laughs) And he was like, oh, this is good. (laughs) Even though I don't use social media as much as I should, I feel like nowadays that's probably one of the best ways to get your stuff out there and grab the attention of agents or publishers and stuff. But then again, 
it's tricky because there are so many people out there doing that too. Yeah, yeah. I think you got to try to find a way to do it. In a unique way. Yeah. I spent a long time getting school visits. What I used to do is I'd send out like a thousand postcards every year to, to schools all over the country and it'd be like, free author visit. And it worked. Yeah, it did work. We have a listener named Gail Werner and she was so happy to hear that you're going to be on the show because she said her son loves the Bruce oh, series. Cool. Oh, thanks, Gail. Gail is awesome. She's been a long time listener. And we also had a listener question for you, but I realized as I'm looking at it now, we already naturally covered it. Tara Trolley Creel, she was wondering if you have any advice for someone who wants to write picture books. Do you have a format slash process that you use? Do you illustrate or write first? But we already covered all that. But if there's anything else you want to add to it, you may. Do you ever get writer's block? I do. I get it. I think anytime I sit down and try to come up with a story, I have writer's block. I have found the best way for me to come up with story ideas is to not try to come up with story ideas. They just pop in my head. So I don't think I've ever really come up with a great story idea while I've been sitting at my desk trying to write something. It's usually when I'm outside doing something active. So I just carry a little notebook with me everywhere I go. And when an idea pops in my head, I write it down. So yeah, I get writer's block all the time. And for me, the, the best thing to do is just step away from it and try to think of something else and let my brain subconsciously try to work out the problem. Okay, that works. Thomas Edison or Ben Franklin, one of them, when they were trying to solve a problem or they would, I think it was Edison, what he would do is he would sit late at night with, it wasn't like a bowling ball, but it was like this heavy ball in his lap. And when he fell asleep, it would drop the ball and it would land on the floor and it would wake him up. And then he would write down the first thing that came to his mind when he woke up. I feel like that sounds like an Edison thing. I could yeah, be totally I wrong. Was. I don't even know why I'm saying that. But I feel like, I think for me, coming over writer's block is something where I try not to force it. And that's particularly when I'm like trying to come up with a solution in a story. Sometimes when I'm just trying to get the words down, I've already got the story and I'm having trouble. I don't step away from the computer. I just sit down and I put the hours in and I just try to buckle down and work my way through it. But if it's part of like the creative process, when I'm really trying to figure out a story, if I can't figure something out, I try not to force it. Thank you so much for that. Do you mind if we wrap it up with two more questions? Yes. You're on fire. What are some small manageable steps you'd advise writers to take every week towards accomplishing their writing goals? For me, one of the biggest things about writing is it seems kind of like an insurmountable task to write a book. And when I think about it as a whole, it becomes too daunting. Other than the first time I think about a story, the first story outline that I come up with, other than that, I don't think about the whole story. I try to think about everything as a tiny little chunk, particularly when I'm drawing. I know when my deadline is, and I have usually 40 some odd drawings to make, it can seem really daunting. So instead of just looking at that long, long period of time where I'm going to be drawing a whole book, I look at it as I'm going to be drawing Bruce's fur today on this one page, or I'm drawing just the mice and their expressions on these three pages. So for me, it's all about breaking it up into little manageable chunks. Well, that helps me because if you look at each little chunk, none of them are super important as little chunks. It's the whole book together that's important. And when you think about the whole book, that can be daunting. But thinking about each little chunk isn't super important. Then you don't have to put as much stress on it. And then it kind of frees you up to just keep moving on. That is so true. That's very helpful because I think a lot of it, it's all psychological. So you're helping them unlock that freezing. I do picture books. So I may have how many sentences in a book? I don't know, maybe 40 or 50 sentences in one book. So each one should be pretty important. And when I put too much emphasis on it and I'm like, well, I got to get this sentence just right, just this one time while I'm sitting or else the book is terrible. 
Now, then you get up in your own head and it creates lots of problems for you. If you think about it as, well, I'm going to write what I can think of right now, and then I'm going to move on to the next one. And if that first sentence wasn't that great, I can go back and fix it later. If you're too concerned about how the book will turn out while you're working on it, I feel like that has negative impact. Absolutely. I bet if I worked on that answer for a couple of weeks, I could come up with a more. <laughs> no, that was awesome. Being on the fly and me just asking that out of the blue, you answered it like a freaking pro. Okay, last and final question. Okay. What are some books that you recommend for listeners to check out that have inspired you? Or if you come across a craft writing book for especially picture book authors or just writers that you feel like, holy crap, this is so awesome. I wish I had this during my time when I first started. Please do share. There are lots of great books out there about teaching people about writing and illustrating. I have a bunch of them. They're actually not in my studio. I just turned around <laughs> and look at my bookshelf. All I have is biology books. I have some behavioral science books over there. So those are the best craft writing books, yeah, obviously. Yeah, I really want to write a good book. Read about <laughs> the hidden life of mountain lions. What I'm getting at is, for me personally, the more I think about techniques and processes, the more I overthink them. I've read a bunch of these books. But when I start thinking about, well, I'm going to make this happen because this particular process is important and I want to draw the eye to here. When I overthink it, my work gets worse. That's just for me personally. I don't think I'm smart enough to know why things work well in kids books, mm -hmm. but I think maybe I'm just barely smart enough to know when they work. It sounds like they work both times. I think you're smart enough just from our conversation. I guess the hardest part for me is actually finding the will to sit down for long periods of time and not get distracted. I try to find books that are, are inspiring to me to mm. make me want to produce really great work. For me, that's actually reading great books. I do have a book that I read a little while ago. Where is it? I have it. I, I listened to it, actually. So it should be my audio book. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Here's one. Here's one. Okay. <laughs> it's called The War of Art. Oh, Stephen Pressfield? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you read that one? Yeah. Oh. It's a very popular book. Yeah, it's really good. Okay. That one was really helpful to me because I have a tendency to get really easily distracted and lots of things distract me. And it was great because it kind of lit a fire under my butt to work really hard to lessen those distractions. You know, it kind Ooh. of per personifies your distractions as a thing that's trying mm -hmm. to prevent you from being productive. Yeah. So you think about that It kind thing. of crushes all the excuses that we make for ourselves. Yeah. At least yeah. that's how I saw it for myself. Yeah. So, I mean, that was really helpful. For me, it's overcoming my desire to get distracted by things. So, I mean, that was a really helpful book to me. Another thing that's really helpful to me is reading biographies of my heroes. You read about, well, this is what their life was like, and they were a regular person, and they produced this great work. I'm reading right now, it's called Crazy. It's a biography of George Harriman, who was one of my favorite comic strip cartoonists. He was from the early 1900s, like 1910 and 20 and 30. That one's pretty great because it's, you know, he was a comic strip cartoonist and was doing two comics a day. So like reading about that and just reading about his life, it makes me want to be a better artist and a better writer. Sometimes you're in a studio and you're, you know, you're drawing away and you're wondering what's going on on Instagram. And, you know, it doesn't seem like it would take too much time to click on Instagram. But then 25 minutes later, you've been on Instagram for that whole time. I feel like if I've just read something really inspiring, I'm more likely to kind of ignore those distractions. <laughs> Brian, you were amazing. Thank you so much for this lovely conversation. It was great. I managed to draw a whole drawing of Bruce. You better take a photo of that and tag me on it. I want to see. I'll do it right now. I feel so honored and so special. I'm going to screenshot it. You know what? I may want to touch it up a little bit before. <laughs> Stop. I want to see the actual sketch. I just noticed he's missing a foot. I got to put a foot on it. It's okay. Rock it. It's not that he's missing a foot. It's that he has a leg that doesn't have a foot on it. <laughs> 
Let me take a picture here. Will this take too long for me to upload it onto Instagram for you to look at now and get your live feedback? Start now, just so that by the time we're done, then I can see it. All right. Well, I'm going to say drawing while pumping 88 cups of tea. Okay, are you ready? I'm posting. I'm on my phone right now. I'm looking. Make it posted. Let's see. I see it. It's so cute. You just drew his foot so quickly. Yeah, his foot is just 20 lines. But if you look at it, it's not quite right. He's a little too rotund, and his foot isn't placed in the right spot. If I could even sketch a foot like that, I'd be so thrilled. This is supposed to go into a book eventually. This is making my life. What is a G for on his elbow? Is that his elbow or a G? Oh, yeah. I put Gs on all the elbows. My son's name is Griffin. Yeah, I put little Gs on elbows. That's so cute. I'm still debating whether or not he gets Gs on his elbows when he's wearing clothes. I like the G. Yeah. It's like a brand name. Thank you so much for posting that. I'm so happy. Oh, my pleasure. And that wraps up our episode with Ryan T. Higgins. Ryan, oh my gosh, it was so much fun having you on the podcast. I had such a great time and I have no doubt our listeners had just as much fun listening in. Thank you again for such a great conversation. Storytellers, thank you so much for hanging out and listening in as always. Please say hi to Ryan on Twitter at Ryan T underscore Higgins. And be sure to also follow him on Instagram to check out his awesome sketches and illustrations at Ryan underscore T dot underscore Higgins. For the books and resources mentioned in this episode, head over to 88cupsofteacom slash podcast slash Ryan dash T dash Higgins. If you enjoyed today's episode or if it helped you in any way, I would love to ask you for your support in taking a moment to subscribe to 88 Cups of Tea on iTunes and leave a rating and a review. Producing a podcast takes a lot of time and we put a lot of heart and soul into making 88 Cups of Tea the best that it can be. When you take those specific actions of subscribing, leaving a rating and a review, that really helps our show become more visible to new listeners who haven't heard of us before and we're really trying to get the word out about our podcast. Thank you so much in advance for helping us grow our community. Don't forget to join our private Facebook group if you want to hang out with fellow writers and listeners from 88 Cups of Tea. I am so excited to see you in there. You can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash 88 Cups of Tea. Have a wonderful and super productive rest of your week, and I'll catch you next Thursday. Hey guys, it's me again. Thanks so much for listening in on 88 Cups of Tea. Go create something magical today, and I'll catch you in the next episode. Bye.